You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Guess my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so, we're going to continue our series through this Advent season where we are focusing on the themes of Advent. And uh, we are thankful that we have God's Word here in the Bible uh, to tell us who He is and tell us how we are to know Him. And so that's why every week we come to this time in our worship gathering to hear from God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hard black covered Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Philippians, it's in the New Testament, and turn to chapter 4 to follow along with us. As we start this morning, I want you to think of something that brings you joy. Think of something that brings you joy. For some of you, it may be the time of year when you have all of your family over for dinner or for Christmas, and you're there around the tree in your opening presents. For some of you, you think of that joyful moment for, for you mothers in the room when you had your first child and you have worked through the delivery process and you're there holding your baby and how much joy that has brought to your life. If you're a dad, maybe you watch your sons do something in your likeness and they do something to follow you. Uh, Graham uh, and, and Connor both, they do things that I do. So uh, I've, as some of you know, I've had some, some back issues. I've had to be stretching a lot and making sure I'm doing what I need to do. And I use a tennis ball uh, to sit on and, and, and work uh, my back muscles out. Well, Connor, being one and a half, every time I sit down to stretch, he's pointing at the drawer where the tennis ball is. And he's like, Daddy, get the tennis ball out so I can sit on it. And so he, 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 he wants me to get it, and I give it to him. And uh, he, he waits for me. He bends down. He waits for me to put the tennis ball underneath his bottom. And then he's, you know, rolling on it you know, for like 10 seconds. And so that brings me joy to see my sons doing something uh, that I do. Hopefully they will uh, continue to follow uh, in, in the things that, of the Lord, but also in things that I want them to grow in. There are all kinds of things that bring joy uh, to us. But there's obviously those things uh, do bring joy, but there's something more joyful. There's something that can bring lasting joy. And so this morning, we're going to focus on joy. Now, we've talked about hope and peace. And now this morning, we talk about the joy of the gospel. So if you're there in Philippians chapter 4, we're just going to be in two verses this morning. I want to read those two verses to you now. Philippians 4. Verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. As we look through these two verses, here's what Paul is teaching us. Paul calls for the Philippian Christians to rejoice always and display graciousness to everyone because Christ is imminent, that he is near to us. And if you're a disciple today, if you have called the name of Jesus, what are you supposed to do? As a church, we talk about making mature disciples. And this morning, here's what we are to do. Advent reminds us to rejoice in both of Christ's comings and be gentle until he returns because he is near to us. 
We land here in the fourth chapter, uh, this short book to the Philippian church. Paul has encouraged them multiple times to rejoice. He tells them to rejoice or to have joy in specific situations. In chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, chapters uh, 2 again in verse 29. But this time, in this final uh, call to rejoice, it is a call to rejoice in any and all circumstances. And so this joy, this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the, what gives us joy no matter what we face in our lives. And so as we seek to have joy this Advent season, our passage places three expectations for the Christian life. So this morning we're going to have three expectations for the Christian life. And these three expectations flow out of Christ's Advent, out of Christ's first coming. And as we wait now for his second coming. So three expectations for the Christian life. Number one, we must express joy in God. We must express joy in God. Look back there at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul immediately calls our attention to this action we must take. He calls us to rejoice. Joy is the do- a dominant theme of the letter. As Paul is encouraging this young church in the midst of their suffering and persecution, that they, they are to rejoice in Christ. Joy is a key to the Christian life. It's not just for the Philippians. It's to the, anyone who is a Christian. It's a key for our lives, no matter the circumstances we are in. You see, joy doesn't come and go with the wind. It, it is not based on our circumstances, but on a, it's actually predicated on a relationship with the Lord himself. This is a deep spiritual reality in our lives if you are in Christ. A commentator, he said this, that joy should be the distinctive marker of the believer in Jesus Christ. Joy should be a distinctive marker in the Christian life. I tend to agree with him, and here's why. Let's ask the question, what is joy? What is joy? What, what, what is it? We often associate joy with happiness, and we talk about how happy we may be, but happiness can fade. It can, it can come in and out. Like we're turning in a dial on the, t- on the radio that focuses in, it can go in and out. But joy should be defined this way. Joy is deeper. It is a state of well-being and of gladness. Again, it's not based on any circumstances, any outward situation, but an inward reality based in the Lord. It cannot be changed. It cannot be affected because it is joy from the Lord. Joy then finds its expression. How do we, ha- how do we show our joy? It's to rejoice. This is the command. It's not an option for those of us who are in Christ those who have experienced the gospel and its true joy. But look where Paul grounds this joy in. Look there, it says, in the Lord. The command is grounded in this reality of in the Lord. That is the key to our joy. It's the key to us expressing joy. We must find the joy in the Lord that is in our relationship with Christ. Our relationship is so central and determinative in our lives, that all of our factors and situations and circumstances cannot shake our enthusiasm in Jesus. That's what joy is, and that's what Paul is calling us to. 
For those of us who struggle with joy, it may be the uncomfortable reality that we're struggling not just with joy, but we're struggling with our relationship with Jesus. Not because he doesn't love you or isn't with you, but because we are preoccupied with other things than him. The source of our joy is the Lord. It will never run out. When you are running out of joy, it's because we are focused on other things, other situations, other circumstances. But when we focus our joy in the Lord, then it will never run out. Some of you remember the song Happy by Pharrell Williams. It was released in 2014. That sounds so long ago, my goodness. In the movie Despicable Me 2, you have the, the famous villain, Gru, in the first movie who he finds these three orphan girls and they change his life. Well, in Despicable Me 2, he goes on a date. And he goes on this date and it you know, doesn't go great at all. But when he comes home, little Lucy kisses Gru. And that's when the song begins to play. And he's happy that no matter the date didn't go well, Gru, who used to be a villain, who has now experienced love with, for these three girls, he has joy and he remembers in his song. He sings, I'm happy. Or that, that's, what's, that's what happens in the gospel. That no matter what the circumstances are, then I can have joy. You see, joy is a distinctive marker in the kingdom of God. Paul tells us in Romans 14, the kingdom of God brings joy to those who are in it, that we, that we are able to experience something that's otherworldly. It's also a fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that if you are in Christ, you don't do works of the flesh, you do works of the Spirit. That the Spirit works in us to produce joy. That it's actually something that is growing inside of us. Joy comes from God. Therefore, we must focus on Him and seek Him through a devotional relationship. And so for some of you this morning, you may say, I don't feel the joy this Christmas season. Well, I want to challenge you to seek after the Lord through reading your Bibles and praying through corporate worship, through your church family. Seek after the Lord and focus on Him because that's where true joy is found. Now let me be clear. Joy is from the Lord and joy continues in the Lord no matter the circumstances. Right? No matter what. But how can Paul say that? How can he tell us? We might say, Paul, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, for one, Paul can say it because he says this despite his own circumstances. Paul is literally in prison when he pens these letters. So the one who is in prison, shackled, not in prisons like we have today, most likely in some sort of hole, four or five foot high, chained. He's brought out every once in a while, he's able to write. He says, rejoice. Paul was jailed the first time he was in Philippi. And what happens? They jail him and they begin to sing about God. And it demonstrates his joy. Paul can tell us to rejoice always because he's living it out. The most happy and joyous man in Rome is in jail. He is joyful because his joy is found in Christ. Christians should be the most joyful people around the world. Right? There should be no such thing as a grumpy Christian at all. There are no circumstances in the world that would cause the Christian to say, 
oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it today. Joy is something that continues because our joy is in the Lord who gave his life for us and who is going to make all things right. So church, I'm speaking to myself, may we not complain about our circumstances or trials, but may we remember to rejoice in the Lord. <coughs> may we be encouraged to encourage other people to rejoice when we find each other complaining or grumbling. Hey, remember our joy in Christ together. Joy, let me also say, dispels cynicism. May we believe the best about other people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because joy shows us a different way. The reality of Christ's first coming and all that's tied up into that produces joy. Right? We don't just celebrate the birth of a baby. We celebrate the birth of a Savior. His life, his crucifixion on the cross, and ultimately his resurrection and ascension to heaven. Paul and we, therefore, can have joy because Christ's first coming, because Christ dealt with our sin, because he offers us a new heart. That's why we get to have joy, that our new hearts now can rejoice in him. No matter our circumstances, we can demonstrate joy to the world because of our Savior. And just in case anyone wants to stop Paul and say, hold up, hold up. Uh, did you forget about our suffering? The Philippian church could, could have absolutely said, Paul, you don't know what we're going through because they were persecuted and suffering. But Paul says, just in case, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Two times. Rejoice. The command is clear. We must rejoice. We must express joy in the Lord. Our joy flows from knowing Jesus, God himself, who came in the flesh as a baby. But it's the same baby who was born in a manger. And it's the same man who was crucified on the cross that will stand as Lord of all. To anyone who accepts him will be welcomed into his family. But anyone who has rejected him will not be. Let me ask, why do you think Paul commands them to rejoice? It isn't only... Joy that comes from knowing Jesus, it's, it's at the core of who Christians are. It's hard to love when you don't have joy. It's hard to be patient when you don't have joy. It's hard to walk with Christ when you don't have joy. Joy is the reality of our salvation, and it bears fruit in our lives. Joy is the environment where God is working on us. You see, you may be tempted to believe that obedience produces joy. And while there's some, there's some truth there, and, and we can have that conversation later, but the, the obedience only comes through faith in Christ. And it's that faith in Christ that produces joy in our lives. And that's the best environment for obedience to take place. So if you're struggling to, to obey the Lord, focus on him and his joy. And that creates a foundation of of living rightly before him. Because when you have joy in Christ and you want to obey him, you want to give everything you have for him. I can remember those teachers in school, the ones I really liked, the ones that I had a relationship with. Those are the ones that I wanted to do well at, on my homework and on my tests and on my assignments. It's because those classrooms were filled with joy and relationship 
and you, you know those other teachers. None of, none of them are in this room today. That, those classrooms were just really, really boring, and they were really distraught, like you just didn't really want to be there. Jesus is not that way. Jesus is welcoming us into a family where joy can be the bedrock by which our obedience comes. And this is, a, this is a, a point for us parents, that we make our homes joyful, where our kids want to and desire to grow in obedience to us and the Lord. That the church is a place of joy. I can remember a testimony of, of a young man who told me, I was sitting across from him at lunch, and he said, I didn't know, I didn't know it was okay to smile at church. Think about that. I didn't know it was okay to smile at church. This should be the most joyful place in the world that we know a Savior who loves us and who has given his life for us. We should be joyful. That's what Paul says. Advent reminds us to rejoice in Christ's coming. And we've seen this first expectation, but now let's see the second expectation. We must evidence joy through gentleness. We must evidence joy through gentleness. Look there at verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is, is near. As Paul follows up with another command, it's best to understand that this command comes out of the first. Rejoice. And out of that now, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Since we as Christians are called to rejoice, then our our graciousness, our gentleness flows from our joy. This is actually how people around us experience our joy. It is through our gentleness that we are distinguished as Christians. We evidence joy through our gentleness. They go hand in hand. You see their graciousness here in the the CSB, if you're using one of the Bibles in the room, is the same word as gentleness. The ESV translates it as reasonableness. Other translations say this idea of a gentle spirit. Right? I think gentleness gets the best point across. Right? Paul has in mind the idea of gentle forbearance. Right? The way in which you respond to others or to other situations that don't go your way. It's the idea that you Do not insist on your own way or insist on the letter of the law when that law is going to bring injustice or is going to yield to not being fair. Gentleness knows how to respond no matter what. Or gentleness is the opposite of being opposed to grace or if you are self-seeking. Gentleness is a core Christian virtue, just like joy. Christ is our example in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul lists gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit. Again, gentleness is a qualification for elders and pastors. So this is a core Christian virtue. It should be a designation for all Christians who call on the name of Jesus. And Paul continues the command. He explains why we are to be gentle. First he says who you're supposed to be gentle with, with everyone. Right, it's not just about being gentle with the church, those people in, our, in this room, the people that we like to be around, or gentle with our family and friends. But this is about being gentle with everyone. Everyone. Even people you disagree with. Even those who may treat you unfairly. Even those who may have wronged you and sinned against you. To everyone. Be gentle to them. 
Church, we proclaim Christ when we are gentle in the face of suffering, persecution, or being wronged. I think the deeper question for us is, do do we desire this to be a Christian virtue? Do you desire to be gentle and gracious? Do you want to be known as gentle? Because see, here's the thing. We live in a very angry world. You're probably picking up on that. We turn on the news. Everybody's yelling and angry. Even our sports talk shows are just people yelling at each other. Like, can we not just talk about sports for a second and quit yelling? Like, please? So on the news, on, on, talking about sports, on social media, it's, in, it's, it's everywhere. Politics, sports, it's just absolutely everywhere. Everybody just seems so angry. People want to point to Jesus. Christians want to point to Jesus as, well, hey, you should be angry about that sin. When Jesus goes in and he flips the money tables, right? And people want to say, hey, look, we, we have a reason to be angry. Jesus is our example. He, he went into the temple. They were using it as a selling market where the Gentiles should be able to come to worship God. And Jesus flipped those tables right over. And he said, how are you going to use this? This is a place of prayer. And people want to point to that example to say, you should be angry too. Well, here's the problem with that. I got two problems. Well, I think there are two problems in the Bible with that. Number one is that this is the only time in which we see Jesus act this way. Not that he sinned in any way. That's not what I mean. But that this is one example of his life. And secondly, I think John Piper gets it right. We aren't Jesus. We aren't Jesus. So when Paul says to be gentle, what he's saying is that this is how we should give our lives to other people. And yes, there are times in which sin causes anger, righteous anger. But the way in which we respond to people should be gentle. We need gentleness. Think about it. When you need to be reconciled to your brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you need? You need gentleness. You won't be able to overlook an offense if you're not gentle or gracious. You you need gentleness when you should show grace to others. Right? Showing grace to ourselves is, is easy. But showing grace or gentleness to other people is difficult. Paul says be gentle to everyone. And we absolutely need gentleness when we engage a lost and broken world with the truth of the gospel. We tell them that what they're doing is sinful and hurting them and hurting others. We must be gentle. So Paul is very clear here that we must evidence our joy through gentleness. And Advent reminds us that our Lord was gentle, especially to those who were seeking after him, those who were lost. And so church, I pray that we will be marked as a gentle people. And so Paul has said, hey, rejoice, be gentle. Why though? Why can we do those things? Well, it brings us to our third expectation. We must expect the nearness of God. We must expect the nearness of God. So let me, read, let me read verses four and five again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is near. Paul grounds all of this in the nearness of Jesus. When we consider these two commands to rejoice and to be gentle, Paul, he, he actually lays the foundation on the fact that the Lord is near to us. But what does that mean? If we're going to express joy and gentleness, and if we're going to experience those those virtues in our own lives, how do we do that? 
I want to offer you two reasons we should expect the nearness of God and thereby joy and gentleness. Right, number one, Jesus came near to us in his incarnation. Jesus came near to us in his incarnation. The first way we consider this truth is that Jesus literally came near to us. He put on flesh. Right? He, he came in the sense of what, what, what the Bible says, in the fullness of time. But the reason we are able to believe that is because he actually showed up when we needed him most. And we believe that he's going to come back, but the reason we can believe he's coming back is because he came the first time. Consider what was read for us this morning from Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. A Savior is born in the city of David. Jesus whom the Bible says is God, and we, we believe that he is God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth and was born as a baby by a virgin. We really believe that. And notice there in Luke 2 that Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord, born for you. This is our Savior for anyone who would call on his name. The reason Jesus came into the world is to offer us salvation to anyone who's going to believe. The news of Jesus coming into the world is the source of the greatest joy. The greatest joy in the world is that you have a Savior who loves you, who gives his life for you, even though you have sinned and against a holy and righteous God. The angels tell us it is news of great joy. But how do you experience the nearness of God? Well, first of all, you experience the nearness of God through salvation, that you've been made right to God, as Pastor Ryan preached last week, that we have been justified. We've been declared righteous. And not just in the middle, like, hey, you don't have sin anymore. But no, you, you are righteous to him. You look like his son. That's how you experience the nearness of the Lord, is that you now have a relationship with him. That he wants to be near to you. That he would give you his spirit. This salvation, though, is only possible by Christ literally coming near to us in the incarnation. That is, he put on flesh. Paul explained this earlier in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, who, being Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Jesus didn't come and demand his rights. He was gracious and gentle to us. Verse 7 of chapter 2. Instead, he emptied, literally what Paul is saying, he laid down his rights. He didn't lay down his divinity, but he put on flesh himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. He put on flesh, was fully God, fully man, and was born as a baby. And for, for those of us who have been Christians for a really long time, that just, it just makes sense. It's just normal. But I want you to think about that. The God of the universe came in the form of a baby to save you from your sin. That's, that's crazy. Church, I, I mean, just think about the, the work, the length at which our God went to to save us. That's how close God wants to be with you. He would put on flesh. He put on the nastiness and the muck of our world and sin. And you would live a perfect life. Jesus came in the flesh to save us from our sin. 
And Siri's getting excited up here. The only way to, to know this Jesus, though, is to submit your life to him. Right? Paul goes on. And when he had come as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. After his crucifixion, Jesus was buried for three days, but raised to new life, demonstrating his power over the grave and over sin, that he's truly God, that that baby that was born in a manger is the Lord of the universe. That when he was raised to life, he is now able to call people who were dead in sin to new life. We now wait for him to return. Right When Paul says, he, the Lord is near, Reminds us that Jesus could return at any time. But the fact of his return reminds us that we have a sure future. If the Lord of the universe died and was raised to new life, then our life is sure. We have new life, no matter our circumstances. This is an encouragement to maintain our joy despite any difficulties. The same Lord who came the first time will come back at any time. And when he returns, he will vindicate us. We don't have to get ours. We don't have to treat others in the same way they treat us. We can have joy and be gentle because he will come back. And when he does, he's going to make all things right. Our joy is not found in our own ability to make it right. So Jesus came near to us in his incarnation. But how how is he near to us now? Jesus continues to be near to us through the Spirit. Jesus continues to be near to us through the Spirit. The second way Jesus is near now is his presence, his closeness. Jesus is present in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's ready and willing to produce joy and gentleness in your life. Jesus explained in John 14, he said, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus is close to us through the Spirit. And Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that he, that is the Lord, may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Because of the Spirit's work in our lives, we can truly experience the nearness of Jesus. He hasn't left us. Jesus said, I have to go away now. But I'm going to send a helper, a counselor, the Holy Spirit. A down payment, Paul says in Ephesians 1, of our salvation. The Spirit then works in our lives to produce joy inwardly and gentleness outwardly. You literally experience the nearness of Jesus when you are joyful. You experience the nearness of Jesus when you are joyful because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God that any of us could have joy at all. When you think you experience the nearness of Jesus in the work of the Holy Spirit, Paul says to rejoice, though. Right? We know this is a work of the Spirit, but Paul says, work with him. Rejoice. Remember the Lord. Remember your relationship in him. And work with the Spirit and remember to rejoice. Our efforts flow from what God is doing. Our efforts don't start it. Our efforts are now out of what God has already done. We also experience the nearness of the Lord in means of grace, that the Spirit is in us, and it's in us when we gather, that we now get to talk about the joy of the Lord when we take the Lord's Supper, when we baptize people who experience salvation, 
when we gather for worship. That you literally experience the nearness of the Lord through his work in the church. That we get to remind each other of what God is doing in our lives. And that we get to read the scriptures. That we get to pray. Churches, let me be very honest, don't expect to be near to Jesus if you're not doing these things. That's just reality. If you're, if you're a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit. But if you, if you don't feel the Lord working, I just want to ask, how are you putting yourself with him, in tune with him, in relationship with him? That you would experience joy and gentleness. Because, church, here's, here's reality. When, when people, when a group of people experience this joy and respond in these ways, and it, it's going to flow out of us. It's going to flow out of us. And what that does is, it, 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 I'm talking about evangelism. That we would be sharing about this great joy of what God has done in our lives. To anybody that's going to listen. Anybody. That we tell them, like, it just, it just rolls off of us because we are joyful. It just becomes natural to us. I want you to know this morning the nearness of Jesus. I want you to know that it's an incentive for us to live with joy and gentleness. It's better than anything that money could buy you, than fame or fortune. The reality, the incentive to live this way is that God himself lives in you. He's given his life for you. That's the joy that we have. And so church made the nearness of Jesus calls us to express joy in God. No matter the circumstances, no matter what comes our way. And then evidence joy to others through our gentleness. Despite whatever you may be walking through this Christmas. Sickness, loss of a family member. Our Lord is near to you in those moments. Our Lord is near to you in those difficult circumstances. And although he may not change it, he's with you. And has experienced it himself, as the book of Hebrews tells us. That he knows. He's with you. You can have joy because the Savior of the world was born in Bethlehem. Gave his life on the cross for you and was raised three days later. That's the joy that we have And that's the joy that Paul, the apostle, wants us to experience because it's a true reality. That advent, the coming of Jesus reminds us there's joy in Christ and there's a right response to that joy. And so church, I pray this Christmas season that you experience his nearness and that we would show joy to the world in all that we do. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, Father, we are so very needy people that that we have all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of needs that are legitimate. And you are a good Father who wants to give us good things. That you would give us yourself, you would give us your spirit. That you would give your only son to die in our place. That you would offer us life. In relationship with you. God, I pray this morning that our church will be a church of joy, that we would be a gentle people, because we know that you are near to us and we know how you have dealt with us.
And so, God, I pray that our church will be marked with these two virtues. I pray for us as we go out this week and we begin to have uh, times with our families, would that joy just roll off of us? Would we, would we speak it? Would we share it? Would we talk about it? Would it just beam from us? And so, God, I pray this Christmas season for those of us in the room who are dealing with some really heavy things. Would we, would you be near to us and would we remember that if we are in Christ, we have your spirit and we have each other. And so God, would you work now in us? God, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit.